0: Uh, we are finishing up the book of Titus, so if you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Titus. We're going to finish up chapter 3 where we left off last week there on verse, uh, verse 9. But while you're going there, uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, please put on your, um, your calendars and to kind of pray and, uh, and pray for attending We're going to have a lot of barbecues throughout. We have our new barbecue place. We're going to get that set up. We have our baptismal. We found our blow-up pool. So we're set for the baptism that's going to be taking place at the end of August. Uh, and so and many have uh, given their lives uh, to the Lord recently so we're looking forward for the baptism of time but we're going to have VBS of course there's a barbecue so at the end so please come join us for that and then uh, we'll have a barbecue certainly for the annual picnic And um, there's just a lot of things going through. If you haven't attached to the Google Calendar for the church, let us know. We'll be happy to help you do that. So we always update the Google Calendar so you can know what the activities. And, of course, the flyers are always out on the information desk for you guys to put on your refrigerator. I like the old-fashioned way as well. So I like paper. With that said, let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just giving us an opportunity to gather here in your name. We lift your name on high. Speak to our hearts, each and individual heart, Lord, that is listening to your word today, and just do a fresh work in their hearts transform their lives transform their minds lord to be in line with your will and your purpose and obedience to you and we again thank you for this opportunity if there's anyone here today lord does that does not know you personally have not been born again changed within i pray today's the day of their salvation by the hearing of the of your word in jesus name amen I'm going to read real quick just to bring the context here from last week's discussion into the remaining of the verses. So follow along with me in chapter 3, verse 4, where this is the transitional keyword, but. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, being Born again is what that means. And renewing of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit is coming inside you as a new believer and is transforming you and empowering you to make the changes he would like to do in your life. We see that renewing of the the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The only way to be saved is putting our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved. And having been justified like you've never sinned before. God looks down in your life. Once you're born again, he doesn't see any sin in your life. He doesn't see a sinner at all. He sees a saint, a child of his. That's how God sees you as you sit here today as a child of his. It's by his grace we should become heirs, being part of the family, according to the hope of eternal life. We have eternal life. Amen? This is is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly, Titus, constantly. Paul's telling and writing to Titus, I want you to say these things over and over and over to your people, to the congregation, to affirm constantly that those who believed in God should be, to be, uh, should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So, this is where we pick back up here uh, from last week, and we see here that it's very, very important that we remember the things that God's Word tells us. And how does Paul tell Titus? How does a pastor tell you as a part of the congregation? He says things over and over. The pastor repeats himself all the time. Why? Because it's scriptural. Why? Because we forget things as we get wrapped up sometimes in the things of the world and the pressures of life and the changes of life. We forget what God's word has already told us and already promised us and already confirmed within us. And we have to be reminded and it, this so too. So if you remember, if you've been with us in, cha- in, in Titus, chapter 2 was what? It was all about the wonderful deliverance and understanding and a very specific discussion around the grace of God. If you, didn't, if you haven't been with us, go back and read chapter 2. In chapter 3, we see in the very first eight verses, we saw the wonderful remembrance and the specific discussion around being saved or regeneration and being that born again. So again, study and understand these things. And in verse 8, we saw that Titus was to confirm constantly To God's people about these things that He's been writing to and teaching them through this letter we call the Epistle of Titus. Now we were regenerated, we were born again, we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we were then changed by the Holy Spirit from within. And as we change, as God has done a fresh work in us and changes, us, and, and now we are alive, our spirit's alive within us. We have eternal, eternal hope, a promise of that hope. We're heirs, we're children of God. The question now is, is how do we behave or how do we respond to daily life? How are we as a child of God to behave as a child of God? And the things that Paul is encouraging Titus and, and telling Titus to tell the people is that God is going to do wonderful and great work through your life. There are good works that God is going to lead you to do. Whatever those may be, he's going to equip you and gift you to do those things for him. Not only will you share the good news with other people who are lost and going to hell because they're in darkness, they need to understand what you now understand from the word of God. That you can be set free from darkness and be in the light and, and have eternal hope with God for eternity. What greater news could you give someone who is about to die? What greater news can you give? Is it just about when your marriage is about to dissolve? And fall apart. What other things could you give to someone other than the truths of God that can save their lives, their families, and their children? The children who have gone astray and they're living in the world and destroying themselves. What better news, great news could you give them than eternal hope? There is no greater hope than Jesus Christ who can be your savior. You've experienced it. How could we be so selfish not to share these things with other people who have never heard the truth of God? We have to, we must. We're compelled by the Spirit of God that's within us if you're born again. We must remember good doctrine applied to your life produces responsible citizenship within the community that you live. Not only is responsible citizenship, but a healthy attitude towards God's people and God's church. You will have a healthy understanding of what God's church and the design of, that, of God's body of believers, what it looks like according to the word of God. We also understand that, as Paul says, these things are profitable in one's life. we have to understand as Bible teachers or teachers, or even better, as parents. You have to understand how important it is not only how much you know about the Word of God, but how much more important it is for one to know how well you know what you know. Because a lot of people know about a lot of things. It's just knowledge. But applying the knowledge correctly is godly wisdom. And that is what we study the word over and over and, and, and meditate on it because we want just a, not to be vessels filled with a bunch of knowledge. It just puffs you up and become spiritually prideful. What we want to do is be able to understand the things of God and then allow God to rightly apply it in our lives so that it becomes these beautiful outpouring of the spirit in your life that benefits others. And lifts God's name on high. That's how it works. It's not about you. The more you think about yourself, the more miserable you become. But the more you think about God and about others, the more joyful you become. That is how God's designed it. So if you're miserable today, which none of you, of course, are here. But those, just those are ones on, online. <laughs> Stop thinking about yourself. You must, the scripture says, die of self. And that's when you give life. That's when you actually have life, is when you die of yourself and live for God and for others. Amen. As we finish the letter from Paul here to Titus, he's going to address church discipline at the very end of this letter. That's a kind of a heavy end of the letter, because it was kind of positive all the way through. You can live, you're lived by grace, you can be saved, eternal life, this is all great. But Paul never leaves out also the other side of the coin when it comes to this Christianity thing. And that is, you're going to have to deal with difficult people who kind of creep themselves into the church body because they've gone astray on some Thinking and some they've heaped up on some teachers that have taken them off on the away from the word of God. They become legalistic versus relying upon upon the grace of God. They could be actual wolves. They could be just people who are not saved, but just have a veneer of Christianity. They can sound like they're saved. They can almost look like they are saved, whatever that looks like. And uh, but they have the lingo down. But literally, they've got some really things as we will see. Paul keeps it. Real and says, you've got to watch out for these people, Titus, because they will hurt the sheep. They will take them out one by one, and and you have to protect them. And so we're going to deal with church discipline and dealing with these types of people. Proverbs 16.3 is such a, a wonderful verse that kind of hit me this week. I hope it does it for you as well. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. I'm going, to, I'm going to be meditating on that, I, I know, for days and weeks to come. Because I find, you've heard me say the word, sometimes you get into conversations and you realize the conversation was just between you and yourself. <laughs> and you are gotten a little squirrely in your head of how you think. Or you might actually now start spewing that out to other people and you sound really squirrely on some of the things that you're thinking and doing. Well, I want to encourage you with this verse, Proverbs 16.3. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Established on what? The Lord and the truths of God. And they will the squirreliness that you can be kind of sometimes going. Anxiety is what we call it today. We call it all kinds of emotional terms today. But may you uh, let your anxiety and your depression and all these different things emotionally that you're dealing with because of the pressures of life. Let me encourage you commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts be established and watch the peace of God come over you. So we start here in verse 9. He's, Paul continues writing to Timothy and he says, But, again, another transitional word here as you see in the scripture. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. For they are unprofitable and uh, and useless. Paul makes it very clear. These people who will come into the congregation and fellowship with you are going to have some possible difficult people coming in. They may not have been difficult, now they're becoming difficult, or maybe they were always difficult from the very beginning. It doesn't matter. If they start talking to the people and to you, Titus, that are foolish, how are they foolish? They're foolish because they're always wanting to dispute the truths of God. They're constantly wanting to dispute these are things that which should not be taught. Things that they were constantly wanting to dispute about that shouldn't be taught. It was worn back in chapter 1, verse 11, if you remember in Titus. If a person is being humble, if they're being genuine in their conversations, if they're being ge- genuine and, and, cons- and, 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 and just... Loving And I, pastor, I really have a question. I really don't understand this. And I heard this. I just don't understand. If they're coming in a humble, genuine state, it is a blessing for a pastor to answer those questions and encourage them in the truths of God. But that's not what Paul is talking about here to Titus. These people come with a facade that they really need help or they really, you know, just I just don't understand these things, but, and they, you're just waiting for the, the, the right hook to come along about what you just taught and how do they want to come against what you just said. These people, how are you to deal with those titles? Paul says it very clearly. Avoid them. The word, in the Greek word, avoid means to do about-faced. <laughs> You're literally looking at the person and he's telling them when they're sitting there and about to do a right hook on you on something that they're wanting to get the, their truths across because this is what they heard. He says, you don't dispute with these people. You just literally do an about-face. You avoid these people. It's unprofitable. It's useless to sit there and try to constantly try to dispute back. Don't do that. That is not what you do. You're going to deal this very very simply, do about faith. Bickering over certain issues is poisonous to the Christian life. It's poisonous to a congregation. And anyone who wants to bicker and wants to sit there and dispute within a congregation is poison to the body of Christ. And it sh- cannot happen. It cannot happen. And as Paul teaches Titus, it teaches me as a pastor, it teaches you as a congregation and the congregation there in Crete, you must avoid these people. They're just harmful to the people. They think they're being helpful, but they're not. Titus must stay on track. That's what Paul's saying. Don't get distracted by these people, these the people who like to dispute. They're just stay on track. Focus on the simple word of God and teach the people. That is what you're to do, Titus. Then we see some, The question is: How do you where do you see this played out in the scriptures? I will take you to Matthew twenty-two verses twenty-three through twenty-nine. If you remember this, the Sadducees comes to Jesus, and the Sadducees, if you remember, do not believe in the resurrection. So here they come, these religious leaders. They come to Jesus and they said, um, "You know, Jesus, I, I, I got a question, teacher. Oh, and that's so nice, teacher." Moses taught, again, the Old Testament taught, if a man dies and no children, and having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. So here you are, you're married, and as a a man, you die and you, you did not have children with that wife. Now the wife is is now childless and and fatherless. And in, in that society, that was a very bad place for her to be in that society. So according to the law, according to Moses, the brother, another brother, if there was another brother, can marry his wife, give children to her to keep the lineage or the name going on behalf of his brother. Now you know the story if you've read this. There were seven brothers. So this woman had the brother, the brother dies, or the husband dies. So the next brother marries her. He dies before they have children. They go to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and the seventh. You would think there would be a question about this, wouldn't you not? Like, what is wrong with the situation? She keeps living and seven boys, or seven men die. But we see in the scripture, she actually dies finally. Now, here's, here's the dispute from these religious leaders. Now, get, notice this it's not from a Gentile. The dispute's not coming from a Gentile, it's not even coming from a non Christian, it's coming from a religious person. Make sure you note that in the scripture. We're talking about a religious now, a religious person comes to Jesus and says, and tries to dispute him and tries to catch him. He says, now when she's gone up and with the other seven men she married, who, and they've all been and have laid with her, who is, who's the wife going to be? Who's going to have her as a wife? And he says, what does he say at the very end? In verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. People who come who are religious and are disputing with the pastor and the people in the church, that is the description of who they are. They have a form of godliness, but they do not know the scriptures and they are not filled with the power of God. That's why Paul tells Titus, do an about face and avoid these people. It goes on to genealogies. Now that's a kind of odd thing. What, why is this a challenge? Well, if you understand, prideful people, especially spiritually prideful people, compare and look for positions and look for status even in the church body. They want to bring light to who they are. They like the attention or what they think they know or don't know. But this is, genealogy topic is kind of odd but for certain false teachers it took great pride in providing to people there in the church body direct to show that they're direct descendants of Abraham do you come from the lineage of Abraham were you like they're always comparing always competing that's what prideful spiritually prideful people do even in Christianity circles Yet God is not concerned with one's parents. He doesn't care who your parents are. He cares about your life and your relationship with Him. That's what matters. He is concerned about our salvation. He is Titus was a Gentile, so for Titus, this genealogy thing is like, why is this a big deal? I'm a Gentile. We don't. It's only the Jewish false teachers were the ones trying to wrap this in. Oh. Titus, how can you be pastor? Do you have a degree? Do, do you come from the lineage of Abraham? Were you previously Jewish? How can you be a, a God using you as a path? It all comes in all kinds of forms today. It may not be calling out Abraham's lineage. It may not be because you're Jewish or not Jewish. It's But it's the same spirit that is no Gouda. And he's supposed to avoid it. Titus is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and don't get wrapped up or take off track from these people talking about genealogies. The the next one is contentions. Humble people, humbled Christians do not like heated discussions. Did you know that? If you've been changed and you're humble, you do not like heated discussions. You avoid those. But prideful, spiritually prideful people love contentions. They love to be, butt heads with you. To try to prove you wrong. Just looking for every critical spirited moment to figure out what you just said and how you said it. Said, Oh, he didn't say that in a proper English way. You know, it's always something that they're fine critical. If it's not the worship, it will be the word. If it's not the worship, it's not the word, it's the building is too hot. If it's not the worship and the word and the building and the fellowship wasn't enough, they didn't have good coffee. It goes on and on. But when you have a critical spirit, you're going to look for anything negative as you can to justify your feelings. And God is saying, repent. You must repent. That's a miserable life you're living. I don't know why you would want to live that way. I've been there before I got saved. I've been there and watched it in the ministry over and over. And I watched people's lives are miserable. It's not joyful at all. So I want to encourage you. If the the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, repent. Find the joy in the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Be about his good works that he wants to do in and through your life and blessing other people and and let his name be lifted on high. Get rid of the critical spirit. It's not healthy. It's poison to the body. And the last one he mentions is striving. Striving about the law. The legalism. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? We don't do this. We don't do that. Why isn't it... it goes on and on about the legalism that creeps into the churches. We have it very simple here at Calvary Chapel. If we see it in the Scripture, we do it. If we don't see it in the Scripture, we don't do it. I, again, unless those, unless we see it in the Book of Acts, and we don't see it played out in the Epistles and, and spoke of through the writings, we just don't mess with it because we just I just want to be in the will of God. I don't want to have to create some program and create things to somehow create some huge mega church. God determines the size of the body that you, we have. I don't determine that. You don't determine. God determines that. And it's a really, really a great place to be. But some people love to strive about the the law because these false teachers of Greek were using the law of Moses to make accusations against the pastor, Titus. And fellow Christians, they're going against him because Paul tells Titus not to lose focus on arguing about the details of the Jewish law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he gave a very two simple things now to think about and it's to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength and love others as yourself. Those are the two great commands. Everything hangs off of that. So whatever you're about to say to someone, whatever you're about to do to someone, if it does not loving to God and if it's not loving to others, don't touch it. You don't do it. It's pretty simple. But Titus needed to stay on track. He is to focus on his ministry of the good news of Jesus Christ and to teach and promote sound doctrine to the local churches. He needed to teach the word of God and not get distracted about these people want to talk about the the law. Paul understood this, did he not? Go back and read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 today. He was was the poster child of living after the law. But notice, and I'll read just the last part of these verses. He says, uh, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, confidence in what they know, the law, I more so, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of uh, Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as what? Rubbish, that I may gain Christ. All of that university study. All the top knowledge in applying, he did it to the T. He had it all checked off on his little pharisaical checklist. But Paul says, all of that is rubbish. Dung. Compared to my relationship with Jesus Christ. That means All of my degrees and my little love me walls and all my accomplishments of all my through my strength and all of my schooling, none of that means nothing compared to my knowledge and understanding and my Savior Jesus Christ. That's what it means not to be striving in the flesh. So, Paul's word to Titus concerning such people is not. To dialogue with these people, but to avoid these people. Now, of course, we do not ask for difficult people within the church. (laughs) Let me go find a church filled with difficult people. You can pick any church. (laughs) We're humans. Anywhere there's humans, there's gonna be difficult people, right? We've all been difficult at some point in our lives. Even as a Christian in a church, some are just more difficult more often, and every day they come to church. Some are not. Some days are just bad days for you. But even with that, whatever there are people, wherever there are people, there's going to be problems. But Christian discipline and exhortation, rebuking or encouraging them to change, is never done with a mean spirit. So as a, church, as a pastor, if I have to deal with church discipline or exhort you or to rebuke you in what you're doing, I am never going to do that. By the grace of God, I'm not going to do it with a mean spirit at all. Why? Because we learned early on in Titus what? That could be me if I'm not careful. It could be me that's screwing it up. It could be me that I'm a difficult person. So when I come to actually have the church discipline, I'm doing it with them as much humility and meekness and gentleness to help you to change so that you're in line with the word of God so that you're pleasing God in all things. Now, I wish that's where it was stopped. But Paul addresses to Titus the next level of difficult type person. In verse 10, he is not just to avoid this type of person, but he is to reject a divisive man or a divisive woman. After the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and being self-condemned. Ooh, those are very strong words. So it's not someone who wants to just dispute with you. It's not just someone who wants to try to prove that they are more knowledgeable than you. Or try to trick you and get you on a gotcha question, you know, because they did some special study and you just don't happen to know what that is. I mean, it's not that kind of a person. This person uh, Paul is telling Titus is, is someone who is actually what we refer to as a heretic. Someone who is looking to section, the wording is, is an action of sectioning off or grouping up for themselves, heaping people to follow themselves. And some people say, oh, it's always just males. No, women do it quite often. That they will come in and they will, be, they will just find a way to say, how can I get my own following? How can I get people to come to me? How can people just follow and do what I am teaching them to do? These people, he says, you must reject. How are you to to reject them? You're supposed to admonish them. Admonish means you're to look for opportunities to, to instruct them of what the word of God says about what they're doing. Or to reason with them. Or to warn them or counsel them. Or you can encourage the change that this destructive behavior that you're doing within the church body is destructive and it's dividing the church. That you cannot do here. So whenever you're teaching, you got to stop if you're going to stay. They might receive it. I didn't realize it, Pastor. I'm, I, I, I I repent. I'm I, I, sorry. I will stop that conversation. I thought it was. No, now I see what the Word of God says. I stop. But a couple of months later, all of a sudden you get word again that they're quietly trying to find like-minded people in the congregation again to, to get the following again. And you hear it. And as a pastor, I'm telling you, I... It just it just grieves me because now I have to go and again admonish for a second time. I heard that is this true that you're now having your own little Bible study and you're teaching these false things. Let me is that true? I mean it goes against the Word of God. What what are you what are you doing? Do we have that conversation the first time? Well, you you don't understand, Pastor. I I, I I'm asking you, please, you cannot do that here in the congregation. Paul tells Titus, if he has a third time that this person says they're going to change and they don't change, he's supposed to reject them. Now, in these days, when you got rejected from the fellowship, it was dramatic. That was was detrimental because you didn't have a plethora of churches or temples you can just go to. You couldn't just sit there and go to just, oh, I'll just go pick myself. I got a whole nother list of people. But more than likely, that person was already told to leave two or three other churches already. You're just on the fourth church and they just haven't changed. That's what I have found over the years of ministry. And it's grieving because it's not helpful for them or their families or the church bodies they're part of. But God is not, God is very clear. They're to be rejected if they cannot see the errors of their ways going against and causing division. Remember, Galatians 5 verses 19 and 20 makes it very clear why they do this. It's because they work out of the flesh and not of the spirit. This this divisiveness is from the flesh and it's very clear. And he or she must repent For their sake. Now, Paul is clear to Titus and instructs him to admonish them, to instruct, to reason with them, do whatever it is, pour your life into them, help them understand what they're doing is not good, it's not helpful, it's not healthy for the body. But Titus is to reject if they are not willing to change. And how do you reject them initially? Is that you don't include them in the good works of the ministry. You, don't, you, don't, you just don't encourage them to be into the works of the ministry because they, if they get into a position where they're doing things, they could cause more harm to the body. Paul said, give two warnings, and it's like baseball. Third strike, you're out. Now you take it to the next level. Let's say they did go through that and they leave the church. They repent Because they realize they're doing the same thing in another church and that church rejects them. And they said, you know, I really want to come back. I love everything about that church. I I, got to change. And they come back and the person has a repenting heart. Welcome back. Welcome back. You're a child of God. welcome back to the church or the fellowship. Why? Because we show grace. Welcome back. But what happens if they, after a few months or a year they go back to their old ways? We're going to admonish them again and tell them that this is not, this is not how you do it here. You, it's not showing love what you're doing. It's not good. It's not right. It's divisive. And you need to change. Or Again, there's plenty of other churches that might be a better fit for you. That's why we don't do membership here. You're, if you're a child of God and you've been born again and this is where God has brought you, and this is where you're learning and growing through the word of God, and you're able to serve God and do the things in the body of Christ here, this is where he's brought you. Welcome, you're a member. But we don't do membership here. I don't put you through some classes and rigor and and hoops to jump through and 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 have you sign piece of paper that says you must give a certain amount of money each month and I'm gonna send it to you and I track it and tell you to you haven't given anything in the last month. Do you see us passing anything or we never pass. That's between you and the Lord. There's a two little bird boxes back there. That's for tithes, gifts and offerings. That's between you and the Lord. We don't come here for you to get money from you. We come here to pour our lives into you and to teach you the word of God so you transform and you then become such beautiful, healthy, and joyful Christians that you cannot help but go do good works and, help, and just serve God and help others and to give to the work of God. That's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. That's why people always ask, where do we, do you ever collect tithes? No, you, we do that, yes, because God has to pay for this place somehow, right? Right? But that's between you and the Lord. It's a form of worship. And I know that when you're healthy as a Christian, you will understand giving is a form of worship. And you cannot hold you back in worshiping God in that way. And it's a beautiful thing. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness concerning yourself, lest you also be tempted. So we're always looking to be very patient, long-suffering, and gentle with anybody who comes in here. Because I don't know if you are saved only one day, or if you've been saved for 40, 50, 60 years. Even though you may have said you've been saved as a Christian for 20 or 30, you may not have been in the Word of God. You may have no idea what the Word of God says, even though you've been a Christian, because you were raised in a Christian family. So we show long-suffering and grace to help you to grow and mature in your relationship with God. And that's why we give you freedom to grow and to, to learn, so that you can not feel like you're somehow behind the curve. I didn't get saved until my late 20s. I was behind the curve. There were kids who were in the the school learning on a Sunday who could barely, just got out of diapers, knew the scripture better than I did. They could flip open the, 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 the books and find, they knew there were 66 books. I didn't even know there was one book. But the grace of God, and God is long-suffering and patient with us to help us to grow at a speed that we and he is working through our lives. It's called sanctification. Romans 16, 17 says, Now I urge you, brother, note that those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. So even Paul in Romans speaks clearly what they're to do. Matthew 18, go back and read chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. And that passage instructs uh, pastors clearly how to deal with a sinning brother and a sinning sister. But always understand what I'm talking about here. Every time we get into this kind of heavy conversation about discipline stuff, it's in the Word of God. That's why we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we get the whole counsel of God. I can't avoid these conversations. Neither can you. (laughs) But we realize and remember that the heart of this discipline, church discipline, is about restoration. Giving room for repentance in the person's life. And that there is a line that must be drawn because once I realize I'm talking maybe not to a Christian but a wolf in sheep's clothing I that that's 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 the line when I realize you're divisive and poison and, or a wolf, we see in Acts 20, verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So as a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm always on the lookout. I give you the benefit of the doubt. I always want to, A, you get saved, or B, you're going to grow and mature. But if I find quickly... The scripture tells me as soon as I find out that you're just a wolf and just looking for to prey on people, whoo, watch the shepherd come out of me, man. The staff will come. You, you won't be able to stay. I hope you give your life to Christ and, and become become a sheep and stay. Why? Because we want oh. unity in the body of Christ, don't we? Do we not want to be a part of a body that's unity? And I believe we are. I believe we have such a beautiful unit and unit, tight unit in this church. But I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, I'm watching and seeing things that get pumped to me that's going on with our brothers and sisters and other denominations. We're not a denomination, but I mean other churches outside and the division that's going on and the things that are changing and walking away from the word of God. It is grieving to me. But I assure you, I'm not going to get wrapped up into those things. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to stay on track. I'm going to teach you the word of God and simply teach you the word of God simply because I want you and us to have this unity and love that people will be looking for and they have that people look for to come and find a place that's still teaching the word of God simply. Psalm 133 verses 1 through 3 Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious of oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garment. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Isn't that a great psalm? The word unity here. Did you know this is the only place in the New Testament, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament that the word unity of fellowship is actually stated? But you read all the Old Testament, it's 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 laced throughout about unity and dwelling together of one accord. We see that in Acts 2:46. So we continue daily with one accord. Unity in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That is us here at Calvary Chapel. It's not complex. Ephesians 3. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 3 and verse 13. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bondage of peace. Skip down to chapter 4, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statures of the fullness of Christ. Unity, my brothers and sisters. Why do we have church discipline? To keep unity, keep order. Keep it a safe place so when we come here, we can safely rest our souls and be ministered to like a hospital. You don't want to go to a hospital known for infections and diseases and poisons throughout the hospital. Would you go to that hospital? Hello? No, you would not. How many times have you asked, which hospital should I go because I have a problem? Don't go to that emergency room and you'll hear all kinds of problems, don't you? It happens in a church. We wanted this church to be so loving and in such unity and doing and being out about God's business and doing what he's doing that it just, the word spreads that this is a healthy place to learn and grow in the word of God. And then lastly, Paul gives Titus his final thoughts here in verses 12 through 15 about the people. He says, When I send Artemis. To you, and Tychikas, be diligent to come to me and Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenas, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. So he sits there, and we see that Paul pours out some personal vignette at the very end of his letter. He says, I'm over here. We're not sure where he is when he writes this letter, but we do know that he's on his way to Nicopolis because in Nicopolis, which is in the Greek islands there, right on that peninsula going into the, Akrotic, the Akrotic, uh Sea, beautiful place for the winter. He's heading there because he's going to winterize there for a while because it's part of his journey around that, that Asia. But we know historically in the scriptures as we study 1 and 2 Peter, or Second Timothy, while he is in Nicopolis, they get, he gets found and gets arrested, and he's brought to Rome and it is imprisoned for his last time. We just finished studying 1 and 2 Timothy. But the intent here we see in Titus, he was hoping Titus was going to come and join him there. He was going to send um, Artemis. Or Tychicus, one of those guys, was going to go and replace him as the pastor there on the island of Crete so that he could be free to come and join uh, Paul there in Nicopolis. That didn't happen. We also know in Second Timothy, uh, through the persecutions and some other issues... Uh, Titus takes off and runs to uh, Dalmatia, which is modern-day Yugoslavia area. He takes off and runs there. He doesn't come to Nicopolis quickly. I believe he probably ended up going to Nicopolis once he got that letter that Apollos brought to him, that, the, the, the letter here from Titus. But when he got there, he found out Paul wasn't there. Why? Because he was arrested and went to, he was in Rome. And we don't see where they, the linkage took place. But you notice at the very end, he says, send uh, Zenos, the lawyer. <laughs> Why a lawyer? Well, because Paul was in and out of prison a lot. <laughs> it's, good to have a, it's good to have a lawyer uh, as a friend and a brother uh, next to you for that kind of reason. And it's also not just, I just bring to light here, you know, this guy is the only one in the scripture who's a lawyer, who's a brother. I'm just, I'm just making a note there, you know. Not to say there's not other lawyers who are brothers. I'm just saying in the scriptures there's only one. So there's not maybe probably many, as they say. That was a funny, I know, it's getting warm, right? If you're a lawyer, if, some, if someone's here is a lawyer about listening, I love you. <laughs> but Apollos, we know brings the letter to, to Titus for him to understand what Paul was saying. But notice at the very end, make sure, Titus, that these guys have everything they need. They may lack nothing to do the work of the ministry make sure they don't get sent off and they don't have the resources the food the money whatever it is for them to be able to be successful in doing what they're to do for God so it's so important as a word of uh, as a word back to the whole conversation right that we as a church body provides for those in the ministry and those who are going out to do the work of God that is done through God's people that is how it works and it's a beautiful thing when you see that exercise and we have a tremendous testimony here at this church of God using brothers and sisters to do the work of the Lord it is absolutely uh, breathtaking verse 14 and 15 remember Titus, stay on track Stay on track. And he, keeps, he kind of wraps it up here in verse 14. And let our people, those who are in Crete, the believers in Crete there on the island of Crete, also learn to maintain good works to meet the urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So he kind of, the theme of the letter He says, we want people so encouraged in and through the Word of God, growing and maturing in the Word of God, that they understand that by the grace of God, God wants to use their lives, not only for their families and raising their children up and to be successful in that, to be going out and about, reaching the lost and encouraging those in the faith. And I encourage the people not to be squished by the persecution that's coming against the church, not these these divisive people, these these this contentious type people, these critically spirited people in the church. Don't let that stop people from be, have the joy of God of going out and doing the work of God. Titus, encourage them to do these good works. These good works means go and have them get good trades. Make sure they're out it's, but for able to provide for them in the ministry. Have them go get trades. Be in around the community. Be lights out there. Do the work out in the community for God. And to be doing those for in God's name, do it for his pleasure, for his purpose. These are good things because there's going to be urgent needs that are going to pop up. And I want God's people to be used for God's people or a community in these urgent needs. And that's a beautiful thing, is it not? That you are just being guided by God and equipped by God and provided the resources by God that you can help others in urgent needs. It's a beautiful thing to be there that God can use you that way because we don't want you unfruitful. What does that mean? It means this very simplicity. You can be a born again believer and come on Sundays once in a while and just sit there week after week but there's no fruit that's bared from your life. Paul says we don't want the people to be unfruitful. We want to love to grow from their lives, but we want them also to do good works for God. We don't get saved by good works, but once you're saved, you can't help as a child of God to be obedient to your heavenly Father that says, go do that good work for me. And watch the fruitfulness that will come, the joy, the peace. Yes, there might be prosperity that comes from serving our God but I guarantee you, you will be blessed. That's why he says at the very end here, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. The closing benediction, or another way of saying it, the closing blessing upon the people from this letter is harmonized with the very beginning of this letter that Paul started writing. It's all about God's grace. Unmerited favor upon you and me that he would save a wretch like me to be able to worship a God like him and to serve him and others as he leads. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. It's only by the grace of God. And the fruitfulness that comes in our lives is because of His doing in and through our lives. We are saved by grace. We are taught to deny ungodly things by grace. We are looking forward to the coming of our great and mighty God by grace. Let us Begin and end our walk here by grace. And how do we do that, my brothers and sisters? How do we do that? Stay on track. Jesus is going this way. Let us follow him. Amen?